Welcome to The Axe Change, the official podcast of the Fred C. Manning School of Business at Acadia University, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Acadia University is a member of the Maple League of Universities, an association of premier, primarily undergraduate universities that consistently rank for higher educational quality in Canada. The School of Business at Acadia University is named after Fred C. Manning, the first person in Canada to receive the honor of having a business school named after him. To learn more about Acadia University and the business school, please visit acadiau.ca and business.acadiau.ca. And now, on to the podcast. How's everyone doing today? I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today on the Axe Change podcast, the official podcast for the FC Manning School of Business Administration at Acadia University here in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. My name is Bailey Darling, and today I have the opportunity to speak to Sean Miles, who's the co-founder of Annapolis Cider Company, located right here in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. So without further ado, Sean, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the logistics of Annapolis Cider, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, your past your past education, schooling, stuff like that. Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm a Maritimer, born and raised in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, and, um, you know, I grew up in Fredericton, went to university in Fredericton, went to St. Thomas, did my undergrad there. And uh, I did a Bachelor of Arts with a major in English, but I was always really passionate about science. I took all all my electives were in science. So I went on and did a Master's in in Human Genetics over in England. I did my PhD in in Genetics as well, in Human Genetics over in uh, Germany Mm -hmm. uh, at the Max Planck Institute in Leipzig in the former East Germany. So it was really great experience. And um, while I was over there, I got kind of hooked on agriculture. So I... My wife, who's originally from Cape Breton, she was over there. She's a she's the winemaker actually here in uh, nearby at uh, Gasparo Vineyards. Okay, and she was training to be a winemaker over in Germany. Uh, we were both living in Germany, but on opposite sides of Germany. And we kind of we used to go on vacations. You know, on the weekends we would go cycling around these wine regions, and I'd look around and think like, Wow, gee, look at all these grapes. You know, this is really interesting. I wonder if anyone's ever looked into the genetics of all these grapes. Like, do we know anything about all these varieties and where they come from? And this kind of stuff. And so I started looking into it and eventually that led me to switch out of human genetics and get into uh, agricultural genetics and, and sort of look into this. And so I, I did a postdoc down in uh, at Cornell in, in the States and then I did a short postdoc at uh, Stanford. And I uh, was fortunate enough, like every Maritimer, you know, you like you want to come back to the Maritimer, Maritime. So, and I got lucky, I got a job at Dow and the Faculty of Agriculture, which is located in Truro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I work uh, primarily in research, so I'm, I'm a professor at the university, but I'm, uh, I don't teach much, which is, you know, sort of what a lot of professors would like, you know. So a very fortunate situation, but I'm actually located at the Kentville Research Station just down the road here. Uh, so I live here in the valley. I live right in Wolfville. Two young kids, uh, four and six years old. And, uh, yeah, we're, we live here in the valley and plan to stick around, and, and we love it here. That's terrific. And so for Annapolis Cider, um, tell me, I know it's a young company, but tell me about its history thus far. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the history of a company, it kind of goes back to when you start thinking about doing something. You right, know? Uh, right. And uh, we always, my wife and I have always been really passionate about the local food movement. You know, Wolfville Farmer's Market's like our favorite place on earth. Um, it's sort of like our church, you know, like that's where we go on the weekend and uh, with the whole family. And nothing gets in the way of going to the farmer's market and doing our thing. 
And we've always just, you know, seen the logic in supporting local because we knew, you know, if you if you drop cash nearby to people and it goes into their pockets, you see what happens. You know, like their kids are at school and all of a sudden they're able to go and get hockey gear. And, you know, you, you, know, you see the direct effects of, on the economy of what you're doing. And uh, w- that was really appealing to us that was right from the very beginning, and especially as it relates to food. Because uh, not only do we find that it's, you know, it's healthier and it tastes better when you get it local, um, but we also found that you know, economically it made a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. so we've always just been sort of passive beneficiaries of the local food movement. And then you know, when, the, when the Ivany report came out and they started talking about how important it is for rural economic sustainability in the future that people become entrepreneurs. They're all like, you know, we need more small businesses. We need, more, you know, we, we need to step up our game as maritimers and say that we can do it here by ourselves. We don't need to look for solutions from the outside. Like we need to start looking around in our rural communities and figure out what we can do. And, you know, my wife is a professional winemaker, and I work on apple breeding at the Kentville Research Station. I'm familiar a bit with the apple industry in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put two and two together, you know, why don't we just take some apple juice and start fermenting it? We saw the, the rise of the wine industry and the craft beer industry around us. And uh, we actually put together a, a business plan for a brewery. We wanted to have, and we were together with a partner. You know, and this partner came in, and, and the partner had more business experience. We we have no business experience, <laughs> you know, and this is two or three years ago, and we developed this huge business plan for quite a sizable operation. But, you know, my wife didn't know how to make beer. She knew how to make wine. Uh, the processes are quite different. But while we were going through the process of making that business plan, we also did the numbers, ran the numbers on cider. And it was very attractive, and, and the process is much simpler. It's essentially winemaking, uh, but you carbonate it at the end. Uh, juice is readily available, um, so it, it seemed relatively simple to do. Uh, we built up this big business plan, and then it all fell apart because we couldn't secure the building we were looking for. The partner became disinterested. By that time, my wife and I were like, you know what? The partner was really trying to push it to a really big operation. And that's not the kind of people we are. You know, We weren't that interested in doing something so big. Mm-hmm. And so we were back to square one and we were, you know, we've always had this little bit of an entrepreneurial itch and, and that Ivany report kind of pushed us over from being passive to being active and thinking, you know what, we could really do this. You know, we've been to probably a hundred tasting bars around the world, you know, because we visited a lot of wine regions, you know, we visited a lot of wineries. My wife has worked in the industry. She knows what, you know, she, she has got great industry experience locally too. You know, if there was ever a piece of stainless steel we needed, you know, like we know exactly who to call, you know, in terms of pieces of equipment or whatever. And so so I just went downtown, actually, and, and started knocking on all the doors downtown on Main Street and thought, maybe there's space here on Main Street somewhere, right? And uh, honestly just went, walked in and said, hi, my name's Sean. I'm thinking of doing this thing. Uh, do you have any space? You know, no, 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 you know, like, mm-hmm. and you have a dry basement basically is what you're looking for. You know, you need cellar space. And, uh, but sure enough, this one guy, he's like, well, they haven't, you know, it's occupied right now, but in a few months it's going to become available. Do you want to have a look? And I, I went over and looked and it was the building that we're in right now at 388 Main Street. And uh, it was perfect. And so we said, okay, let's lease it, uh, get together with the architect, measure it all out get the contractor in there, figure out what we could do, figure out how many leaders you could put in that thing, revise the business plan, go back to the accountant, redo your projections, go to the bank, get the loan, firing all the engines there in about November 2015. 
and by April 13th, 2016, uh, we had the, uh, the the doors to the winery opened, uh, the winery, the cidery. <laughs> i got to correct myself often, actually, because we're sort of, you know, in our household, there's a lot of winery talk as well, of course. So, uh, no, the cidery opened on April 13th. We started serving uh, our beverages there at the tasting bar, and, uh, yeah, it's been super fun. Yeah, it, it's, it's been great. That's awesome. It yeah. sounds like a very fun business to run. But I want to ask you, there's two sort of two like different segments of business. There's a lifestyle business Mm -hmm. and then maybe a growth business who's focused more on bottom line. Mm -hmm. So are you I'm curious to know how much of your decision was based on it more being a a lifestyle business where you're focused on doing it almost more as not a hobby, but because you're passionate about it and you're in it for like the quality of life it provides and not too much growing the brand with the ex- expectation of selling out or exiting eventually i don't think we're either mm-hmm. and i think it's extremely important to think really really hard about why you're doing it and make sure that every action that follows in your business flows naturally from those core values that you have uh, as a company and the company's core values are, are sort of like they extend naturally from what gina and i believe in um but the main purpose of the company is to, uh, to support local agriculture, make sure that it remains a part of the lifestyle here in the Annapolis Valley, and to promote rural economic sustainability. Because we know we're both maritimers, right? We know what's going on. We know that we have an aging population. We know that there's a crisis. And we see this as something that we can do as a potential solution. Mm-hmm. We are not a bottom-line business by any means. Um, if we were, we'd be growing way faster than we are. Right, because I know there's uh, a, there's a lot of demand for your products. Yeah, yeah. We've essentially, like our our internal motto right now among the staff is no need to push, just satisfy the pull, right? And we, we want to make sure that every single customer that comes and visits us has an extraordinary ultra-premium experience. But we do not need to go and hire a marketing firm from Toronto to go out and start knocking doors down and so that we can move more leaders out of our facility. You've got to keep in mind we're in manufacturing, and when you're in manufacturing and you're doing it yourself and the ultra-premium status of your product flows not from the fact that, you know, you've figured out some recipe that's transferable to China. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we are exploiting and tapping into a really unique taste that is only available from a careful selection of apple varieties and a very careful process of cider making that differs significantly from standard you know, industrial cider making processes. So it's not something you can just say, hey, next year I'm going to make 10 times as much of this as right. I made last year. You cannot really do that in this in the craft beverage industry. You need to grow organically. So no, we don't have anything against growth. We have no the, the economic health of our company is absolutely essential, but because it because it ties into the core values. And the core value is rural economic uh, sustainability. We want our company to be around in 25 years from now we want to be an extraordinary employer for 25 years and we want the families that rely on this company as a source of income and a source of stability we want them to feel an insurance that we are going to be around and so um, those are the things that are important to us so as a as a byproduct of that yeah it's true you need to have a really high you know i want the balance sheet and the income statement to look really really good right 
fine. But I'm not going to go put my thumb down on the production downstairs and say, hey, guys, start. you guys got to step up your game and start pushing harder. I want to see overtime on the weekends and get this bottling line up and going and let's go buy more equipment and let's move, move, move. We're, we're, we're ready to grow organically. We bring people on board that we think fit with our core values when they understand what we're all about and someone's got their feet up on a Thursday drinking cappuccinos, taking it easy, then we know we can start and we take the next step in growth. But we're not going and pushing growth on the on the company by any means. Okay. Uh, um, you touched there on, on being like a premium, premium product. So mm-hmm. tell me more like through that, how you're separating yourself com- – from the competition of other cideries and breweries, stuff like that. Right. No, it's a, it, it's interesting because you don't really, when we started, we didn't know that we were going to be a premium product. We had the feeling, you know, we we visited pretty well every production facility we could, uh, made a big trip at West and visited a whole bunch of cideries, you know, came back. And my wife is a, is a premium winemaker, right? So uh, we know what processes create premium product and which ones don't. Mm-hmm. Um but we weren't sure, right? So, you know, you make that first batch and then you, and you have it on tap. And I remember we were all standing upstairs and we're like, oh, man, we're pouring like the first little bit from the tap, right? It's got to be a good feeling. And, oh, yeah, it was awesome. You know, and we tasted it and we were like, oh, I think it's really good. <laughs> but, but you're also thinking, well, of course I'm going to think it's good. I just poured like how many hundred, you know, how many thousands of hours did I just pour into this project, mm-hmm. right? Of course I'm going to think it tastes good. Um, but, you know, we're, we're also scientists, like all of us, and our, and our cider maker has a PhD in chemistry, and she's very empirically oriented, and so is my wife. You know, she, we do a lot of blind tastings. So when we, we started tasting our product, and we thought, you know what, I think we really are a premium product. Okay, well, you, you got to price it premium, you know. And we know now, like, we're fermenting our ciders for four to six weeks, you know, and you look at the industrial processes, they're doing, like, seven to ten days, mm-hmm. you know. And long and slow fermentations at low temperatures with really great temperature control, which is what we have, you know, that that's one of the steps we take to make premium product. It turned out I didn't really realize this, and, and I think we're coming to realize it now. We're taking a lot of steps to make sure that our product is premium from the quality of the apples, the varieties that we get, the pressing procedures, the temperature control, everything. And so now that we're comfortable with that, we're going to be becoming increasingly comfortable with this notion that, okay, you know what? We are actually creating ultra-premium product. How do we make sure it's not just ultra-premium product. It's sort of like, okay, we're an ultra-premium brand, mm-hmm. okay? And so if you're an ultra-premium ba- brand, what do you need to do? Every point of contact needs to be ultra-premium. The person in the office who answers the phone and speaks with your supplier has to be ultra-premium. They can't, oh, hi, darling, how's it going? Nice to talk to you. You can't do do that when you're an ultra-premium brand, Mm -hmm. right? So now we're we're becoming increasingly comfortable with this notion that our customer service experience has to be ultra-premium, right? The, The shirts behind the bar need to be ironed and the shoes need to be shined. Right, the the way we speak with customers can't be colloquial. It needs to be professional. This is more, you know, this is more fine dining room experience uh, in terms of customer service than it is, you know, barbecue beer bar kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And um, and in a way, it's pulled our 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 vision of ourselves and and all that to more towards. Uh, the wine market and more away from craft beer Mm -hmm. and we our pricing is pulled more towards wine and away from craft beer and that means our packaging for instance is pulled way more towards wine than craft beer so we package it in a hawk bottle 750 mil with a printed bottle and a a printed capsule stelvin cap there are no cider products with a stelvin cap on the shelf 
uh, right now, you know, most, almost none. Uh, and, you know, we, we have an ultra premium looking product, you know, so we, we ha- you have to make sure that now, okay, all the packaging has to match what's in the bottle. The experiences that we provide at the cider, you don't do uh, barbecues and burgers, right? You do oysters. What, like my, internally, we, we talk about our marketing strategy, oysters and hot air balloons. <laughs> That's the imagery we want to, uh, to, you know, to have people think about when they're thinking about the Annapolis Cider Company. Um, and how much of this do we actively do? Almost none. We, our advertising and promotion budget is really, really small mm-hmm. uh, because, again, we're just trying to satisfy the pull. The growth in cider alone you know, last last qu- this past quarter at the NSLC compared to the previous year was a growth of eighty eight percent. Wow! Like high double digits growth. If we were growing that fast, right, we would be hiring like crazy. We'd have to take out like enormous loans from the bank and really go full on. You know, just to keep up to the rate, the average rate at which cider is growing. So we're in a high growth market. That's you know we're super fortunate. But if you chase that dream and you want to go and you and you know build a huge production facility, bring in outside investment, and, you know, go that route. You know, it's not really clear exactly when it's going to slip out from underneath you and when the when the growth is going to slow, uh, what other competitors are going to come in. We're much more about building organically and, and saying, you know, we are uh, and let the ultra-premium status of our brand um, be displayed from our actions and not necessarily from uh, that marketing firm that you hired from toronto to ask how do you make me look ultra premium right right we are ultra premium right and that's uh, the 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 product speaks for itself and the customer experience you get at the cidery speaks for itself but that's 1600 square feet or whatever it's very easy to control Mm -hmm. right it's small and so you know as the company grows we don't want to lose that status and we think the most important thing to do to make sure we don't lose that status as ultra premium is make sure that every single staff member who joins our team understands what we're about, feels the core values in their heart, right, and and wants to be a part of what we're doing here in rural Nova Scotia. And if they don't, you're on the wrong team and see you later, right? Uh, there's no point in st- sticking around. And so that's how we're building our team up just you know if we get the right people on the ship on the boat i'm not driving the boat right we all drive the boat together Mm -hmm. so and so you need to load the boat up with the right people in order to get it moving quickly um and so we're just waiting we're we're letting that happen you know over time okay is is this startup your first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial experience or have you had things in the past that you've been interested in or tried to start up stuff like that no never really started up anything before yeah right no they did a little consulting stuff mm-hmm. you know before and that but that wasn't that you know that sort of came to me i was very passive about it this is the first active thing i've done but it mm-hmm. all stems back you know when you have th- uh, everybody says oh you must have such great passion for 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 doing this and, mm-hmm. it, and it's true we have passion but like passion is a really poor replacement for competence uh-huh. you know we also have we, we have competence you know like i've managed a research lab and 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 budgets before and people and human resources and i know a little bit about that my wife has you know she's fermented over a half a million liters of liquid right and and made lots of different products and so and and we know she knows about how to hit the right sweet acid balance for the public and and all those things that are necessary and so uh no we've never really delved out into it before but plenty of experience in the in the kind of in these domains you know Mm. talk to me about the products you have on the shelves right now and how many are there 
Sure. So we're actually not that many on the shelf right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool because in a few months we're going to have a whole bunch. So, uh, you know, we're we're not even a year into operation. We opened our doors on April 13th last year. And now what are we, March 28th or 9th or whatever? 30th, I think. March 30th. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're not even a year in. And uh, our initial idea was, hey, let's make two products, right? Because mm-hmm. that's easy. And all you got to do is turn the wheel, right? Just just keep cranking on those two products. And, hey, you want to make more, just crank the wheel around, right? And uh, so we had what we call juicy and sweet and crisp and dry. Okay. So this is the other thing. We never really wanted to be prescriptive in our uh, marketing approach. We always wanted to be descriptive, all right? So we're not going to tell you what it, you know, what you should be tasting. We're actually going to tell you what it tastes like. And one is juicy and sweet, and the other one's crisp and dry, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we found out that juicy and sweet was not a good idea. Uh, never use the word sweet with a beverage because everybody thinks that it's going to be unhealthy, even though it's not even as sweet as any of the other ciders you would get at the liquor store. You know, That's like interesting. People still, like, it was the worst seller by far, even though we argue it was probably the best balanced product the um it uh still um people wouldn't uh like it as much because it had the word sweet so we changed it and now it's called the classic so so now we got the classic the crisp and dry and then we have something different on tap so that something different is it rotates every time we make a batch we make something different so we have these tanks underneath the floorboards of the cidery they're hooked up directly to our taps so you buy a refillable bottle or what they call at breweries, they call it a growler, mm-hmm. right? You take it home, you bring it back, we fill it up at the bar for you. And that, that one of those taps is always hooked up to this tank downstairs that's full of our something different. And we and when in the tank empties, we fill it full of something different. So we've done peach and peppercorn and plum and citrus and rhubarb ginger and uh, all sorts of stuff. Right now it is uh, toasted oak and maple. You know, our last one was called Muscat Infusion that we did with some uh, grape mm-hmm. uh, additions. And so we're just sort of playing around with that kind of stuff. That's our experiment. Number one seller, which is... Which one was that? Is the something different. Okay. Always. Wow. So our prediction when we started our business was that the Juicy and Sweet, which is now called the Classic, would be number one. Number two would be Crisp and Dry. And number three would be something different. The order is actually completely in reverse <laughs> and much more drastically than we ever expected. Okay. So... Uh, that's really encouraging. People love something different. They like unique products. They like things that they can't get elsewhere that taste different from everything else. Uh, this is informing us in the process of product development. Right? Okay, so what are we going to do next? What are people looking for? Right? We thought we'd get away with making two products. Forget it. Uh, especially because, you know, you want to keep your cider maker happy, and she's really experimental, mm-hmm. and she wants to do lots of stuff. So right now we've got those products, and we've got an ice cider that we make through cryo extraction. So you freeze the juice, and then you let it thaw. And as it thaws off, it comes out really, really sweet. And then you go and you ferment that like an apple wine. Uh, like It's like an ice wine, so it's a dessert wine, mm-hmm. very, very sweet. And you put it in little 200 mil bottles. It's sort of a specialty product. So we've got some of that on the shelf. And then every once in a while, for our something different, when the tank is, you know, we're down to a couple hundred liters and we need that tank empty because we got to fill it back up with something else and use it, we'll go bottle off a little bit and throw it on the shelf and, and sell it in a few days, that kind of thing. But otherwise, you know, it's really just three main products on the shelf together with our ice cider. But now we're realizing, okay, summer's coming on. We're renovating the, the shop, uh, the cidery. We're taking over the other half of the building. We've got another, you know, thousand square feet to deal with. Uh, we're opening up more retail space. We've got all this space. 
And uh, so now we want to feature in that space some specialty ciders that we've made this winter. Mm-hmm. And so those include a, a 100% single variety Gravenstein cider. So it's made entirely with Gravenstein apples. Another one that's made entirely with Northern Spy. Another one that's made with these uh, specialty crab apples that have red flesh. Mm. Uh, and it produces sort of a rosé type cider. Uh, then we've got our heirloom that is made, uh, which is available now actually at the at, at, uh, at the cidery mm-hmm. and at the NSLC. Right. So we just started uh, going to uh, uh, wholesaling, um, and it was always part of the plan. Um, uh, and but it's taken us a year to get there because right. the cidery was so busy. Yeah, you know? that that's a that is a big step for you guys. So yeah. talk to me about that and getting on retail shelves. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been a process. So just to f- finish off what the other products sure, are going to sure. be, we've got the rhubarb ginger, sour cherry, and and the hopped pear are also going to find their way on the shelf this summer. And so uh, we'll have a kind of signature series with that mixes with other fruits. Mm-hmm. And then we have our heritage series, which focuses on the varieties like Gravenstein and, and the uh, uh, Northern Spy and so on. So um, we're kind of diversifying, coming up with our product lines. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Uh, you know, figuring out the production end, you know, our projections and so on. Get that all on the shelf. This summer, the shelves are going to look fantastic you know we've got the ability to hold 400 cases of cider in inventory on the main floor of the building at any one time so that in three four years from now you know if we're really moving people through that space we're going to be able to satisfy customers and not have them walk into this super crowded little hallway that we've got right now right and be like overwhelmed by you know we had a lot of people turning around last year at the door because it was too crowded so that's really exciting we're hoping that that's gonna that's gonna work out yeah so doing the wholesaling yeah yeah, so it, it it was an interesting process. Actually, we thought, okay, well, we got to, you know, eventually we could sell to the NSLC, and and when the winter comes, it's going to slow down at the cidery, and we're going to have time to go and like start moving pallets out the back door, right? And uh, you know, start moving some product. Let's why don't we do that with the crisp and dry? That seems like the most suitable product. And then we thought about it, and we were like, well, if we sell the crisp and dry, you know, at the NSLC for $15 or $16 or $17 for a 750-mil bottle, but you can get a 750-mil bottle here at the cidery for $9.50, they might not like that very much. Yeah. You know, so we thought, hmm, okay, what are we going to do? And we thought, well, let's make a new product, and let's focus on the heirloom varieties of the Annapolis Valley, right? There's all these really great apple varieties that we've got. Um, we've got the... Uh, you know, with Gravenstein and Cox's Orange Pippin, there's still some around, and there's, you know, Golden Russet and uh, Northern Spy. The, these are all apple varieties that are really great for making cider. We're really fortunate in the Annapolis Valley to have these. When we went out west and, and checked out their cider industry, they would they would love to have the diversity of varieties that we have available to us here. You know, so we thought, we're really fortunate. Why don't we make use of these varieties and make a specialty kind of uh, higher octane, you know, 8.1% cider that is relatively dry, um, like a little less carbonation than a lot of the other ciders. So it's not just a, not a sweet fizzy drink that you have in the summer. It's a more sophisticated white wine style um, kind of cider uh, that is ultra premium in a printed bottle with a printed capsule. And let's make the best sort of, you know, traditional cider that we can make from an Apples Valley apples. And that's what resulted in heirloom. Um, it was a big investment for our company. We went, when you buy printed bottles, uh, you buy 30,000 at a time. So, 
you know, that was the biggest investment that we've made so far. And I'm sure if I listen to this podcast in 10 years from now, I'll be <laughs> laughing, thinking that that was the biggest investment that you were making. And, you know, but for us right now, of course, that's that's a really big deal. And uh, so because you have all this stuff tied up in inventory and you're not moving it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to fill all those bottles and you got to get them out the door. And so that's what we're doing now. Our first order went out to the NSLC in February and it's been doing very well. So we've done no advertising or promotion. Um, and it's really just, it's all social media. Um, we focus very strongly on social media and make sure that our content is consistent and that our voice is consistent. And, you know, we cycle through our content buckets and, you know, we have an idea of how to do that. Um, and that's all we do. Uh, otherwise, we, uh, you know, it goes onto the shelf and we see how it goes. Because mm-hmm. if you push too hard, you know, and you move too much liquid, you risk disappointing people. And that's that uh, retailer, like the NSLC or these private stores that take up our product, they've got shelf space for you. And if you tell them next week that, sorry, we don't have enough to supply you, they're not happy, mm-hmm. right? And you're an ultra premium brand, you keep people happy. So we, our view is let's make sure we have lots in inventory, that we're at no risk of running out of this stuff, and that, uh, that we keep these, all of our uh, retailers happy and that we have enough for the cidery here uh, to continue you know, selling out of the cidery directly. Um, and so far, so good. You know, the, the, the response has been really positive uh, from the retailers. They like selling the product. They get good uptake. Um, and uh, they're happy, you know, keeping it on the shelf. And you're not going to move a lot of a of an ultra premium cider in a 750 mil bottle for 16.99, you know. Um, but that's where we want to start. And uh, to be honest, I think if we go anywhere from here, we'll come out with another uh, sort of innovative product that's more, m- even more wine like in style, uh, and at an even higher price point. I don't see us going towards six packs or putting it in a can. You know, that's not the kind of cider company we want to become at this point uh, in our evolution. You're listening to The Axe Change, the official podcast of the Fred C. Manning School of Business Administration, Acadia University, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Podcast host Bailey Darling interviews entrepreneur Sean Miles of the Annapolis Cider Company. Right. So I know you want your products more towards the wine section of a place like NSLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that and like w- the, the train of thought there. Yeah. yeah. So we, our packaging is definitely more wine-like. Mm-hmm. We, we're in an ultra-premium bottle. We're in a Hawk bottle, uh, which is associated like uh, Rieslings and a lot of German white wines are found in Hawk bottles. But there's almost nothing, nothing in the cider category would be found in a Hawk bottle. Uh, so we're differentiated in our packaging. The thing about the, the NSLC is that we're not in the wine section. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're in the ready-to-drink section. <laughs> so we're found right beside like Mike's Hard Lemonade, and like we're we're found beside like the industrial sugar and water and alcohol drink yeah. that is like orange or blue <laughs> or like you know some crazy color in a in you know where. You know, these industrialists are are doing absolutely everything they can to drive the costs of production down, right? And here we are, you know, we're a small, tiny little craft place where, you know, craft means inefficient. We are, you know, the costs of producing our product are extraordinarily high compared to the other products that are next to us. And so we, uh, so the, you know, being in that, I'm not, I'm not really sure whether being on that shelf 
next to, you know, even other ciders that are selling $4 for a 500 mil can or a 500 mil bottle is right around four bucks. And, you know, and we're at in a 750 mil bottle and we're $16.99. It's a different category, mm-hmm. right? I was concerned and we were all concerned in the company about having this situation where you're standing out a lot in that section as being an anomaly in your packaging, in your price, uh, in the way, you know, like your hot air balloons and oysters and everybody else is a uh, pool party, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, pork sliders and, you know, uh, whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, frozen appetizers, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. And so, which, which is fine. There's room for that. It's just, it's kind of a strange place to be sitting. But when, when we went and we spoke to people that we admire in the, in the beverage industry who have um, gone this route, uh, you know, and we have people here nearby, you know, even Benjamin Bridge, who made Nova 7 uh, several years ago. It's a $25 a bottle, 7% alcohol, sparkly pink drink, mm-hmm. right? And they wanted to come into the NSLC at, at, at $25 a bottle. And they were almost laughed out of the room. Like, that that's not even a category, right? And this whole idea of creating your own category and making your own path and being completely unique... Um, increasingly became attractive to us rather than being rather than being a, a, a risk you know it started to be like yeah actually that's a really good idea if we're the only one in this category then uh that makes it a good thing so it makes it difficult to predict how much you're going to move yeah that's fine but uh in terms of having a, a unique value proposition it's fantastic right yeah so obviously NS- nslc is trying to target your products to college students in that section, but it's obviously not, and it's probably hard to pinpoint your, you know, your key demographic or what you're going for. But do you know, like, I'm guessing it's not college students. So what Mm -hmm. kind of demographic are you guys going for or marketing to? Yeah. So I think primarily we're marketing, uh, you know, to date, Mm -hmm. we have tried to satisfy the community's demand for our product. It will always be number one. The community is what supports us. And we will continue to have the refillable bottles at the cidery for $8, $9.50, $11, right? This is very affordable, uh, easy, super fresh. You get it right from the tank, you know, and that's that highly desirable. People love it. Those are the people we want to satisfy first. They are our most important customers. 80% of our business comes from 20% of our customers, right? And they come in and, they, and they're doing Who are those people? It's really diverse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, not as many students as we were anticipating. Certainly glad that there's a university in our community, for sure. It's got to help. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, but um, no, you know, um, I, people are finding it, you know, a, an excellent wine replacement. So white wine drinkers uh, and so on. So I don't I don't know, you know, to be honest, uh, we've never, you know, sat out front and recorded the, the people who are coming in that drink our cider most often. And, and mm-hmm. we don't have like a demographic analysis done or anything right. like that. They're members of our community, right? People who live nearby generally who come in for those refills. That is the, that's the driving engine behind our business, our small business right now. Right. Someday in the future, maybe it'll be export markets. Who knows? But right now we're, we're being driven by that. Those are the people we focus on. And so regardless who they are, uh, or, you know, uh, they come in with those refillable bottles, then those are the people that we are attending to, and we're making sure that they get good value and that they 
because they're the most likely to come back. Yeah. Right. And they're the most likely to con- like keep the wheel turning on our business. And, uh, and that is what we want. We want that assurance and because that's, what's good for rural economic sustainability. Um, yeah. So, so you said something about export export markets. So yeah. does that mean you guys have plans to grow in the future or looking forward towards expansion? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. um, it, but again, just in a, in a very organic fashion, you know, we, we first, we saturate the, the Nova Scotia market, uh, with our product and then, and see how that goes. And then we move beyond Nova Scotian borders, uh, once we reach that point. We haven't even made it through a summer with a product on the shelf at the NSLC. We're not even a year into our business, right? That's, so, that's fair. Right, Lo- a long yeah. time in the future. Yeah. So we've got a lot of time to, to, to get the feedback we need to mm-hmm. make those decisions about when we want to move towards uh, exporting across borders. But I think I think the, the uh, word Annapolis and the Annapolis Valley in general yeah. is uh, an extraordinarily unexploited brand in and of itself. And that it has traction outside of the province, especially now that the you know the the premium wines being produced from our region are kind of laying the groundwork and the foundation outside of our province for a reputation of being premium. Mm-hmm. So to enter that market with a cider and being in the ultra premium category uh, makes sense, right? And it, and that will hopefully it'll resonate, and we can kind of dovetail in there on the back end of of ultra premium beverages that are already being produced from this region and that's precisely what the whole Ivany report is all about right is like Mm -hmm. you know uh, making a name for Nova Scotia exploiting who we are taking what we have and turning it into ultra ultra great things and taking them outside of Nova Scotia and selling it to other people right and so we want we'd love to be a part of that but again you know we're growing one step at a time one day at a time and we'll see how it goes yeah and you guys have had like a lot of strong growth lately and these are all amazing things but what's been your biggest headache so far, if, if you have had one? Um, I think the biggest headache is probably just um, so uh, basic administrative matters. So okay. uh, just office management, really. Uh, we want to have we, – we see so many small businesses grow really quickly uh, to become mid-sized businesses that what we call – they sticky note their way through mid-sized business, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, all of the knowledge that is required to run that business is found inside the heads of a small number of people. And those people are so crucial to the operation that if they were ever to get hit by a truck, the whole thing would fall apart and there would be really hard times coming for that company. Our intention is to avoid that at all costs. We're much more interested in putting systems in place now when we're small that are scalable so that when we make it to the point of being a mid-sized business, if things happen, and they will, mm-hmm. uh, that, that put a kink in the whole system, that the whole system doesn't fall apart because that's the sustainability part. We want to be a business that sticks around. And so, to be honest, I look a lot to uh, franchises a mm. lot of the time okay. as being kind of... Uh, I admire franchises a lot. I admire their systems. Okay. I don't admire their products or their service, but I really admire their systems, right? Like when you, if you work at McDonald's, there's a way to wash the bathroom at McDonald's. And if it's not done properly, it gets recorded. And then if, you, you know, there's a system to know that if you get recorded a certain number of times, you lose your job, mm-hmm. right? And all of that, there's a protocol for all that. And all you need to do is just keep following the protocols, right? Standard operating procedures for everything. And most small businesses don't work that way, you know, and, and people, s- they're, they're often like passion driven and they kind of, you know, 
but that's I find that that is a risk to achieving our goal of having a business that sticks around here for 25 years and is sustainable. Mm -hmm. If all the knowledge about how to run this thing is trapped up in my head, then I become, it's an extreme sort of liability situation that all of a sudden my life is, is so incredibly valuable and we want to avoid that at all costs. Uh, I don't, we don't want the business to revolve around the knowledge of a small number of people. We want systems put in place where things are backed up, you know, like, so everybody's, getting this all up and going like everyone's google calendars all synced up yeah everybody's got weeklies and bi-weeklies and and uh you know quarterlies annuals and checklists and you know make sure that that the piece of equipment gets checked every six months and the filter on that gets replaced and the, that all of that is written down in a way so that if somebody else were to come in and and replace this person which will happen right it's got to happen eventually people don't last forever Right? If you want your business to last forever, you got to admit to yourself that people don't last forever. Then you have to have these things in place to make sure that your business runs. And that's exactly what franchises do. Yeah. Right? They have systems in place so that it's a box. You put everything in the box, and then you put the people in the box, and then they all they open up the box, and they start running the business. Right? And it, that's extreme. It's never going to happen when you're a small business, but it's something to strive towards, right? And uh, admittedly, I think that's a pretty unique view of how to run your small rural craft beverage industry, right? Uh, but I think because our, our business is rooted in that idea of rural economic sustainability and we know how important it is to us to have this business be a kind of a, an anchor in our community for a really long time, um, that is actually in the best interest of the company and is in line with our core values. Mm -hmm. So that's the, been the most difficult thing to implement, I've found, is trying to put these systems in place. Okay. Because it's when you're small, everybody just expects to kind of go, oh, yeah, oh, the windows need to be washed every once in a while. And then what, are we just, just going to retain that knowledge among us or are we going to write that down somewhere? Yeah. Is that going to go into a protocol book or is that just going to kind of float, right? Uh you know, there are all these things that need to get done, right? Like the, the playlists, right? That are the, the music that's running in the background. That's somebody's got, we got to nail that. We got to, you know, that's, there's got to be a thing, you know, there's seven playlists and you pick one of them and it goes on shuffle and that's how it works. Yeah. Right. And you press that button at the beginning of the morning and that's how you run the day, you know? Um, and so you can get pretty obsessive about it and it can get a little fanatical. Uh, but, uh, I think that's a, I think it's a healthy response to our core values, mm -hmm. and uh, but it has been that's been the biggest challenge to try to implement those sorts of things because it's, you know, um, getting the right people into in in your small business when you're in a small community. It's just not the expectation to hear that from the small business owner, yeah. right? And so people find it a little surprising sometimes that wow, we really we really we're trying to operate this like some kind of like franchisee big corporation, but we're actually kind of, we're just so small. And it's like, well, it's because someday we're not going to be small. <laughs> okay. And I just don't want to be stuck in one of those situations of a mid-sized business with 30 to 50 employees where I can't go on a bike ride in the afternoon because everybody has to ask me 50,000 questions in order to get the job done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, exactly. Yeah. I'd imagine another challenging thing just from an outsider's perspective would be, you know, balancing the job as a, professor and researcher with owning mm -hmm. a full, you know, full-time yeah. business. So how do you, yeah. how do you balance that? So the other thing is that this whole philosophy of trying to get the thing to, to get the business to click on its own mm -hmm. and, and seek redundancy at, at all levels is a byproduct also of me having to actually work a different, another job. 
So uh, I primarily I work as a researcher, and I've got a lab, and I've got postdocs and grad students, and we that you know we run the lab. And this is the you know if you will, it's the side hustle is the cidery, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, and it's the same for my wife. My wife has her full time job as well. So uh, part of this whole you know not fanatic obsession, but this sort of focus on um, systematizing things is driven by the fact that we want to retain our current employment. We mm-hmm. love our jobs. Uh, we like what we do. And uh, so we need things to actually kind of run on their own, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because we're not there. And so we've spent 10, 20 hours a week, you know, on the business. But uh, that means that uh, we're not the kind of owners that are in there on bottling day handling the bottles, right? And I think that the best piece of advice that I received from my accountant when we started and something that resonates really, really strongly in my mind always when doing this is work on your business, not in your business, right? And that was the best piece of advice we've received, and it was really wise. Okay. Yeah, I definitely see that because working on your business helps growth and everything rather than just getting that day-to-day operation done in yeah. on that specific time. Yeah. Um, actually, a piece of advice I received from an entrepreneur I met, Chris, Chris Houston, he said, never hold too tightly to your original vision of what you have for your business because odds are it's flawed and can be changed for the better. Yeah. So talk to me about how your vision has changed over time. I know it went from brewery to cidery, which is a huge change, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think in the vision for the company, like the actual core values have probably not changed all that much in terms of our commitment to local agriculture and our desire to promote rural economic sustainability. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the, um, you know, we allow for that for that change over time. I think we thought much more about pushing before and trying to like you know get our product out the door and be aggressive about growth and now we've realized that that's not actually consistent with what we want um we've we've modified our vision as we've begun operating we've come to realize the importance of human resources you know we we joke internally that there are three there are three important things in our company Human resources, human resources, and human resources. Perfect. <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, companies are made of people, not spreadsheets and numbers. We, and and it's just key to get the right people on board. Uh, it, the more we talk to people who have run businesses for a long time, the more we hear this. There are people who bring energy and there are people who suck energy away. Right. And if you get groups of people into your company, which you will once you get to a certain size, but like we're at the point now we can be fussy, right? So we get the right people on board. Then, you know, in the at the end of the day, you have to go into work and you have to work. Yeah. And so why would you choose to go work with people you don't want to work with, right? Mm-hmm. Why not? You, to gain the pleasure from the workplace is totally dependent on who's there. Yeah. And when you walk in the door in the morning, if you're thinking, God, I got a face mic down in production today. What an <laughs> ass. You know, you can't, you can't have that, right? You got you to gotta have a, a – you, you want to walk in the door and be like, awesome coolest group of people we're making really awesome stuff this is super fun everyone's jazzed you know what i'm gonna go buy some cheese and we're gonna have like a cheese lunch this is gonna be awesome you know we should we should rent some canoes and go on a canoe trip like you know like this is what you should be thinking right and if you're not thinking that then why are you doing it right like because because this is a choice that my wife and i have made this is not we didn't start a business out of necessity this isn't to feed our kids or send them to hockey or take them or send them to college we're both gainfully employed and we're we're fine you know and so 
the the reason to do it is for the pleasure right there is a lifestyle component to this business of like being able to experience pleasure through the business and so yeah we've come to realize you know so in terms of our values changing i think we've changed to come to realize how um how important uh, that that the key focus now is really we're driving everyone's driving this this bus together it's pretty small right Mm -hmm. now it's going to grow the bus is going to grow let's get the right people on the bus we're all driving the bus together this notion of the the ceo who drives the bus and goes and tells everybody next year we're going to make this product and we're going to make that many cases and get down there and let's get her done because i decided that's how it's going to go yeah right no interest we have like we have zero interest in that kind of in that kind of top-down approach, right? right. Good, want, I, yeah. good ideas come and they bubble up. And, and if you get the right people on the on the bus and they feel comfortable driving that bus all together, it it's it, f- it would feel for us as owners, it would just feel so much better to be able to say, it's okay. It's okay if you get off the bus for a little bit. If, if someone in your family gets sick and I have to go away, if somebody in my family gets sick and I have to go away, I feel totally fine. Everything is going to be fine down there mm-hmm. because i got great people and the, the – the wheels are going to turn, and the customers who walk in are going to get great service, and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay, right? And it would be horrible to be in a position where you thought that you, if I'm not there, everyone's going to screw things up because yeah. they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, uh, I, I went to a production facility recently where I asked, I asked the owner, how many people work here? He said, how many people work here or how many are employed? <laughs> and I thought, that's like, it's like for me, that's kind of like admitting, admitting to failure. Yeah. Right? People don't enjoy working here. That's your fault. Right? That's the only thing you're really responsible for is making sure that it's a really great place to work. Right? Yeah. I want to I ask you about that. I'm curious, as someone who's been through a lot of job interviews, what do you look for when you're hiring an employee? What do you look for in them and how do you go through that process with them? It's an excellent question. So tomorrow we have a full day with a human resources consultant to go over like hiring and firing and everything else. And like, that's where we're weak, to be okay. honest, you know, like we're pretty touchy feely about it. And so we like, we'd like to nail that down into a set of like, this is the way the Annapolis Cider Company hires and, and uh, performance evaluation and performance management and all that kind of stuff needs to be laid out. So mm-hmm. uh, admittedly very naive, uh, but someone who comes with an, uh, with a notion of what we're all about, understands about commitment to local agriculture Mm -hmm. and uh when they start we do i go out i generally i go out for a little walk actually i just say and they get really intimidated you know i come over and i'm like okay do you have a few minutes come with me we're gonna go for a walk that's intimidating and everybody (laughs) everybody you know like you can see them like "Uh uh-oh and like everybody knows now that it's actually you know it's always good news yeah i'm I'm never a bad news guy but we go for a walk and then uh, we just uh, go walk around and i and i ask them you know what, what are you passionate about what do you like yeah where do you see yourself fitting in this is what we're about this is why we're doing this um if you don't feel strongly about those things or don't feel that you could adopt this and are not in agreement with it if this if if there's conflict here then it's got to end right this isn't the place for you Uh, if you think that it is something that you could commit to and that you feel strongly enough about it that uh, you can be part of then that you want to be part of this team then uh, let's give it a try right Mm -hmm. Um, how exactly we should formalize all that i'm not too sure well that's coming down the pipe we're you know, right. we're super naive, right? Like we just started our first business less than a year ago. So we're, we're learning. Yeah. yeah. How many employees do you actually have? Um, so we have, 
uh, yeah, right now we have probably uh, like four full-time employees mm-hmm. and, you know, another th- three, four, five, six part-time employees. Right. So, uh, you know, we're anywhere 10, 11. And then in the summer, we're up, you know, between 15 and 20 people on payroll. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So when someone's like going in and applying for a job for you guys, what do you recommend them doing and and not doing specifically? Because I know th- I my mom told me that you should never just go in and hand your resume to some random person and be like, hey, drop this off to the manager and have him give me a call. Yeah, we'll never call you. Yeah, yeah. that's the, right. So talk about that. Yeah. And then what do you think of people who actually do that? So what I think, I, I mean, in our situation is a little unique. We have a tasting bar, right? Okay. And so you can come up and for $5, you can get a tasting, mm-hmm. right? And so one thing is, why are you applying for this job? Yeah. Right? Why, why are you coming to the Annapolis Cider Company? Do you really want this job? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, the guy, the job that you would have is the one right across the bar from you and they're serving you. So why not, I've, and I find this quite surprising, why not first ask for, a, keep your resume in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Ask for a tasting. Right? And get the spiel from the person behind the bar. And say, can you tell me a little bit about the product? And they say, oh, yeah, we'd love to. And so all these apples come from the Annapolis Valley, and uh, we get them pressed just down the road at Sterling's, and we bring them into these tanks right over here. Here, take a look. And they show you around, and they do their little spiel. And you observe them, and you say, hmm, you know, this actually seems pretty good. And like, and you develop a little relationship there with the person behind the tasting bar. And then you say, thank you very much. And you have your tasting, and you look around the place, and you kind of get a feel for it. And then you go back, and when you're cashing out and giving them your five bucks, you say, you know what? I really enjoyed this. You know what? Here's my resume. I'd love to work here. Yeah. And they go, huh, yeah, they were really nice, right? That's Smile a lot. Right, exactly. That's the other thing. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really valuable. Right, like experience a, for me. Yeah, I'm really surprised. A lot of people do come in. They 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 walk in and come straight to the tasting bar. They have a sh- they have the Manila envelope in their hand, right, full of resumes. You know that they're hitting up every single spot downtown. Yeah. Right. And and you're thinking like, what differentiates you from everybody else? Right. Mm-hmm. Not much. Right. Not like nothing. And sending the the blank, the, you know, the email send too of like I've got experience and like at. At the, at the tasting bar level, anyway, when we're hiring for someone from the tasting bar, we're not really looking for anybody with any experience. We're looking for people who have a good smile, uh, you know, who, can, who are enthusiastic, you know, uh, are easy to work with, or, you know, these sorts of things, like really basic, basic characteristics, personality characteristics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a big long list of food and beverage experience isn't really what we're looking for anyway. Yeah. Um, so the resume is kind of irrelevant. Uh, you know, uh, as long as there's nothing glaring on that. Speaking in a couple languages is always useful. Okay. Uh, right. So people, because we get people from all over the world. Yeah. And so if you can do, if you can do a tour in Spanish, like we got Alex behind the bar right now. He speaks Spanish. Every once in a while, he pulls out the Spanish, and you're like, sweet. That's he awesome. just turned a, a premium experience at the tasting bar into an ultra wicked awesome experience at the tasting bar. Exactly. Right? For some couple, you know, who speak Spanish. So you know. Yeah. So I, I have one more question for you. Shoot. It's uh. It, it's it's hypothetical, but it, I know it's only been a short time since you started your business. But if you could go back to day one of your startup and and had fifteen minutes to talk to the former you, what would you say to yourself to avoid any headaches or heartaches or just general advice that you wish you had known then? <laughs> That's a great question. I'd probably just say, man, take it easy. Yeah, take it easy. Take it easy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Don't you know? It's that thousand dollars you're worried about right now <laughs> you know like cause the numbers are so daunting when you start 
Yeah, I bet. We had, at the very beginning, we had a headache. We had uh, too much moisture. Okay. And we were starting to get mold in some spots down in the cellar. And the solution to that is to install an industrial dehumidifier for about 6000 bucks. $6,000 when you're starting your business is a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, and it hurt so bad. And I remember speaking to a couple of like, I've got great mentors, okay? So I've got people who have been in the beverage industry for 25 years and, and business owners who have been in business their whole lives, you know, and when I talk to them, they're so relaxed about these things. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, yep. sometimes you got to just do what you got to do, right? <laughs> and they kind of laugh at you because they're looking at you going, ah, ha, 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 I remember when that used to be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I think that I would just probably say more of the kinds of things that my mentors tell me constantly, okay. which and, – and be careful of your personal health. Personal health is huge. Um, the best thing you can do a lot of the time to lead as an example in your company is to be someone who is focused on personal health and family and, and good relationships with other people. And so, um, and, and I have been, but I think you can always be a little more health conscious and, and make sure that you don't let it slip too much, mm-hmm. right? Because you can, y- you can, um, you know, you can produce so much more. Your productivity can go way up when you're actually uh, very healthy mm-hmm. and feeling really good. Um, and you sometimes you make health sacrifices in order to get things done, uh, but um, you know that would be the two areas I would say would be you know what don't worry about the numbers so much checking the numbers every day checking the numbers every day checking the numbers every day right like yeah. you know all the time so th- there's really no need uh, and uh, like we're down to you know I'm down to weekly now kind of thing mm-hmm. you know want to make sure I understand the business but it's not because I'm concerned about it. Right. The degree of concern when you start is obviously really high, so I think that would be the thing. Hey, bring the concern, the degree of concern down. But then, in, on second thought, you know, if I hadn't been that concerned, maybe we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be here, you know, today, right. you know, talking about its success. Maybe you know, it would have been a little more dire. So I, I don't know. This is a good question, though. <laughs> it kind of makes you think about it. <laughs> right. Well, unfortunately, on that note, we're just about out of time. But, I mean, I feel like I could talk for another hour about Annapolis Valley Cider because it seems like such an interesting and in-depth company and your passion about it is just incredible. So and I also want to thank you for the the insight into the employment and, like, what you look for in an employee because that's super valuable to students who are, who are looking for jobs and have sure. their future ahead of them and don't exactly know how to, you know, go into a place and apply for a job with an employer. So finally, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today to the Axe Change Radio podcast. And once again, I want to thank you, Sean, so much for being here today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Great. Really appreciate it. Take care. The Axe Change podcast is produced by the Fred C. Manning School of Business Administration using the studio facilities provided by Axe Radio. This is a volunteer production. If you'd like to donate to help support the Axe Change podcast, please see podcast under the news and events tab on the business homepage of business.acadiau.ca. Thank you. Axe Change would like to thank Paul Callahan, Jonathan Campbell, Kendra Carmichael, Dwayne Curry, Luke Eeler, Ian Feltmate, Mike Kennedy, Ryan McNeil, as well as Connor Vibert. Music is Pickup Truck by Silent Partner, accessed copyright-free at the YouTube Audio Library. Until next time, I'm Brianna Hike. Here's an Acadia Spirit.